This is a Power 98.7 podcast. Now we're talking. Subscribe to Power 98.7 podcasts in iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. There's more on power987.co.za. Let's talk tech, big tech evolutions in tech. And TV presenters who aren't real people. What is going on? So there's the buzz, obviously, around artificial uh, artificial intelligence, um, which already exists. I mean, if you're using platform banking and you are asking your bank, you've got a query or you want to do something on the app, that person talking to you nine out of ten times is not a real person, okay? It's, it's an AI-generated bot um, who has studied your files, knows your behavior, kind of can predict what it is you need to do, whether you need to, you know, defer a loan payment or apply for one or whatever the case may be. So we're already sort of living in an AI world. Every time you you shop and you decide you want to buy a pair of red shoes and the next time you go on the site and all different brands of red shoes come your way, those are AI algorithms that sort of know that you as a person like red shoes. So we're already sort of living in that world. But the advancements now is where the AI becomes cleverer, faster, more intuitive, and now it can almost mimic human behavior. And so last week we saw CNBC introducing an artificial intelligence powered newsreader called the first for the African continent, CNBC Africa. Uh, China State News Agency, Xinhua, uh, introduced its virtual newsreader as well to work 24 hours a day on its social media uh, online news channels. India also has an AI powered anchor uh, known as Sana. Indonesia has followed suit. Um, with virtual pre- presenters Nadira, Sasya and Bumi, Malaysia as well. So I think for many people who are consuming visual news virtually, many of us are starting to get our news online. I know that there's a report that says 11 to 15 percent of people actually get their primary news each day, either from Twitter now known as X, uh, online news services, and also Instagram. So it's quicker, it's more immediate. And so to make the process a little bit more uh, interactive, instead of you just coming up with text, they are creating a figure, a person you can look at and trust in the way in which you do when you turn on your TV or your radio. So what is the future of AI? We're joined by Paul McNally, the founder of Develop AI, an organization that reports on AI here in Africa and also trains African journalists to code with AI. Uh, My understanding is we also have Arthur Goldstuck, who will be joining us in a moment via Zoom. But we'll start with you, Paul McNally. Good morning. Good morning, Loata. How are you doing? Fine, thank you. Okay, so I understand a little bit of tech, but I don't want to claim to be an expert. Uh, Was my description of AI along the right path? Could you help us elaborate? Yeah, definitely. And I think your idea that people are adopting it especially for news, like this idea of an AI um, newsreader is very uh, worrying for some people and exciting for others. So I think it's definitely true that we already use technology and um, what is broadly called AI in our everyday. Um, But now, especially since ChatGPT, it's suddenly become, you know, we're in the sort of peak of the hype cycle of people talking about it. 
Um, but I think this is also here to stay, even if we don't keep talking about it, if you like. It's going to be in our lives now, okay. kind of forever. So I'm one of those people who um, sits on the two sides of the spectrum. I love AI when I turn on my banking app and I can quickly sort out a problem, send money and e-wallets, you know, uh, or quickly say to the bank, I'm traveling, uh, please can I uh, apply for some foreign currency? I love AI. But when I think that AI means that next year, two years from now, a whole AI-generated presenter would have my job on the radio, I don't like AI. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> um, I, I think, I, well, to be honest, I think in terms of from a media perspective, I think you are safe, safe right? I think okay. the idea of people um, with brands who are front uh, and center um, are going to be fine. And I think people largely are going to want to, apart from this little blip of people being excited by AI newsreaders, like we at Develop AI, we produce an entirely AI-produced um, synthetic podcast with yeah. all um, AI hosts. The script is entirely generated by AI. Oh the kind of gimmick is that goodness. it's produced entirely with one click. So we put out exactly what is produced. We don't edit it or do anything. And it's kind of you know, it's deliberately done like that as an experiment to show what where we're at with this technology, you know, and people mm. give feedback and they say, well, this didn't sound very good or this did sound good. Mm. So we're definitely there in being able to produce the content yeah. um, artificially. And I think these newsreaders vary in terms of how much human interaction they have. Yeah. But I think it's going to depend on the audience. I think if people kick back and say, I don't really want to uh, watch or listen to artificial people or mm. I want to go back to real people, then newsrooms right. and organizations will, will swing back and so, not do that. So there's two things, and I'll ask Arthur the second part. So when we talk real people, what does a, a, an AI virtual presenter look like? Does it look like an animation, like an avatar? Does it look like a real person? Well, I mean, it varies. And I think that's going to depend on what people are comfortable with. I think at the moment, people are comfortable when they hear AI, AI avatars make mistakes because they're like, oh, now I'm more comfortable with that, you know. Mm. Um, but I mean, you can do like the one that CNBC is doing. And actually, the one that was before that is an organization in Zimbabwe that have been doing it called Sight with a newsreader called Alice. Mm. Um, and they look incredibly real. They sound a little bit monotonous in terms of their um, vocal structure. So they are reading the news like that? A little bit, yeah. <laughs> you can adjust that. And when okay. we um, have been experimenting with it, when we've adjusted to make them sound more human, um, they do um, modulate their voice a little bit more, but then they can often make mistakes. So they can go okay. very high and very low and sound like they're having a bit of a seizure. <laughs> Um, so you've got to kind of trade that in a little bit. Okay, so it still needs to be refined. So it's like dealing with Siri. Uh, I must tell you, the day my mother discovered Siri was kind of just a, a computer-generated person as opposed to a real person. Uh, right. It was a disappointment because Siri sounds pretty real. Yeah, well, I'm hoping actually, I mean, if you bring up Siri, I'm hoping AI will make Siri much better because in my experience, it often gets things very wrong, right, when you speak to it. So I yeah. think there's going to be a shift now where, and you mentioned when you go on your banking platform yeah. and when you talk to those chatbots on a banking yeah. platform, often they also get a lot of things wrong and it's yes. actually be quite a frustrating experience. And I think um, these things that we've kind of been battling with for quite a few years in like feeling like we're in the future, mm. I think that's going to rapidly get better, right? So mm. that's not taking anyone's jobs. I mean, no one's doing that as a job anyway. I think those technological advancements are just going to improve and make everyone's life right. much easier.
I'm glad you're saying the things you said. So let's bring in Arthur Goldstock, uh, the uh, tech analyst and founder of Worldwide Works. Arthur, good morning. Thanks for joining morning, us. Good morning, And what do you make of these news readers, TV presenters who aren't really real people but AI generated? I think it's fun. I think <laughs> it's a novelty. And I think it's a great experiment. But they're not going to replace the regular uh, news readers, mostly because... While the audience will enjoy seeing, I believe, will enjoy seeing uh, virtual or artificial uh, presenters, mm. they're not going to enjoy it if the regular presenters are replaced by artificial ones. Or let's say the regular ones move on to another job. Um, they're not, the, the audience is not going to appreciate or accept a, an AI presenter stepping in as the permanent presenter. However, as a, as a partner or a colleague or a, you could almost say a foil to the human presenter, mm. they will be an amazing addition to mm. the experience of the audience. And the issue is this. This is what I'm thinking. It's the, it's the fact that the human being who incidentally runs the computer... Uh, so powers that AI, is also in the media sense the moderator of public information. So if we've got a crisis like we have right now, this war in Iraq or the war in Russia and Ukraine, even if the AI is able to gather a lot of information, they still need to distill a lot of the public discourse around it. And I'm not sure AI can still do that, can do that. It is possible to uh, program or prompt the AI. If you, for example, look at uh, ChatGPT or Bing uh, AI Chat or Google Bard, mm. for example, the output depends, or the quality of the output depends entirely on the quality of the input. Okay. And if, if you ask it to, uh, to for example, uh, report on something uh, basic and just tell it, uh, give us a report on what is happening right now, mm. Uh, in Israel, for example, mm. it's it's going to pull out the average of all the reports out there, and it will give you a very average uh, input. But if you start giving nuanced uh, prompts, like um, in the in the tone of a serious, concerned mother, um, just for example, mm. um, uh, t- tell us what are the implications of what is um, happening. Um, Give us a sense of the significance or, or the, the tragedy of kids being kidnapped, uh, for example. And you're going to more and more detail and you, you can write a prompt that is a page long. And mm-hmm. that will fundamentally alter the output that you're going to get from the AI, AI because it takes into account all of those uh, elements and then produces something that is fundamentally different from just a straightforward uh, report. Yeah. And that can apply to almost anything that you ask the okay. AI uh, to present. All right. So we're getting into the, the, the realm of just basic information that the public needs versus moderated content. And those have been very tricky issues when we're looking at the evolutions of social media and AI anyway. So we'll come back to that, Paul McNally, in a moment. Getting you what you need to know. Power Talk. Weekdays 9 a.m. to noon on Power 98.7. News out this week from African tech startup investor Baobab Network will see investment worth $100,000 into 1,000 African companies over the next 10 years. 
The funding aims to provide critical early financing to help African startups get off the ground. The firm's co-founder Toby Hannington says the fund aims to empower 1,000 startups, catalyzing innovation and driving economic growth across the continent. He also adds the fund also signifies the African startup's intent to bolster African entrepreneurship amid declining investment. And that's all for Missionel AI. You're up to date. It's back to you, Fifi. Looking at digitalizing. Okay, and there is an example of the AI presenter on CNBC Africa at the moment. And I think it speaks to that kind of monotony, the quality that we're talking about is it's there, it gives you the information, it's a bit gimmicky, but it can't replace the dynamism of um, the human interaction, Paul McNally. Yeah, and and I think it's interesting. I've been speaking to journalists um, uh, for for a number of months now around AI, and we're kind of trying to help people with their AI strategies, right? Because it's foolish for newsrooms of any size to kind of not think about this and not kind of adopt this. But it's actually the behind the scenes people, especially in print, right, Mm. who are really worried. They're like freaking out. And I think what we're trying to encourage is, um, especially managers and people that can make these decisions, is not to take this opportunity to cut costs, to not take this opportunity to then produce the same product whatever it is, in a year, in a year, it is year. And, and produce it right. in, um, for much less. Because that's an option, right? You could kind of automate a whole bunch of things. You could be producing the same mm-hmm. website or the same um, TV show for less in mm-hmm. a year's time. And mm-hmm. I think the thing that we're really trying to encourage is if you do that as a media business, you are not gonna, you're not going to win. You're not going right. to stay in the game. You need to be using these technologies to not... Um, uh, not cut costs, but actually to make your product much better okay. because the floor for content, like the, the lowest form of content that you can imagine is going to go up. Mm. It's got the quality of the lowest forms of content are going to, are going to rise mm. significantly because of these technologies. So if you're producing something where you're wanting advertisers, you're wanting engagement, you're trying to sell the product, maybe your, your quality is going to have to get so much higher now yeah. because of this. And that's, so then that's not a reason to buckle down and cut costs it's to kind of empower your uh, people to kind of train them up to get them all sorted and then move forward into something that's like much more uh, of a higher quality and i think what you're saying speaks to what we started to see in the COVID world where interestingly because people were home working from home streaming services uh, can we just shut (laughs) people are taking selfies with arthur goldstock so uh what we saw during the COVID world is that um uh, people were home, they were watching more streaming services, so there was a big tick up in uh, uptick in subscriptions. I know this, you know, those figures have gone down a little bit more. But in terms of traditional television, the only genre that survived was news because people were constantly looking for up-to-date information about the pandemic, about government interventions, the truth about vaccines, debates, etc., etc. So as a genre, it seems to me that news media still has a future, but it's not going to be consumed the same way. People are not going to come home at 7 o'clock and watch the news bulletin for 30 minutes. They want up-to-the-date, on-the-minute, quickly moderated news. And this is why a lot of international channels are starting to move onto the virtual platforms. And this is where I think the AI component comes in. But because news is so contentious, Paul McNally, because news can, if the information 
is misconstrued, it can lead to many bad decisions. We've seen it in the whole era of fake news, fact-checking now, uh, after the the um, Donald Trump era. So you are going to need um, eyes and ears driving, yeah, exactly. not just not just this algorithm-based presenter, but you're really going to need a lot of intellectual input in the process. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And I think that's where there's going to be a bit of a crunch in that all this content um, is going to need to be checked, right? And, and I think like people are trying to build all over the world um, AI-developed um, fact-checking uh, tools to varying degrees of, su- of success. And I think they also come with their own inherent bias. You know, the things that power these tools, like ChatGBT, the big AI language models, are also inherent have an inherent bias. Mm. So you've got layers of bias within bias, but it really comes down to the fact mm. that, like, no matter what you at this stage, no matter what you create, if it's a podcast, if it's a newsreader, someone has to watch or listen or read right. that stuff. Right? There's no way around that at this point, and. Um, that also takes time. Even mm. if even if it comes out perfectly fine, according to the editor or the journalist, you you still have to go through that process. Mm. And I think what we're going to start to see is much smaller organisations or just one person shows producing an unbelievable amount of content because they can automatically, mm. and then they don't have the manpower to check that content in any shape or form, even yeah. if they wanted to. Um, you know, I think that's going to that's going to play into like lots of different types of media, even big um, investigations, right? Right. So if you think about like big investigative journalism pieces, if you have a good newsroom with lots of journalists and then they use AI tools to help their work, I think that's perfect. Mm -hmm. But I think what you're going to see is also much smaller, maybe a single person use these AI tools to help them with their investigative journalism. And they're not actually going to know (laughs) <laughs> or be able to have the time to check all those documents that they fed into the yeah. AI model um, to know how it got okay. to the results that it's now using for the story. And I think yeah. that's going to be really difficult. And it's going to kind of, under, and, and you know, you spoke about earlier around if people are going to respond to this stuff. Yeah. And I think, you know, pe- I mean, we're going to see a very strange um, phenomenon okay. around people trusting or not trusting the news stuff that has AI content in any form. Let's uh, get a final comment from Arthur Goldstack. We noticed you were having a social moment there, Arthur. Uh, (laughs) And I hope they got their selfie. But as we wind down our conversation, the issue are these biases we're talking about. I saw a presentation the other day, which was very powerful. And it was a small exercise. And he said, just type into any search engine, beautiful baby. And the AI will be able to find images of beautiful babies from all over the world, except that those babies are likely to be blonde-haired, blue-eyed. And yet, a good, you know, one-third to two-thirds of the global population is not made up of Caucasian people. And so, in itself, that's just an example of a very innocuous thing. But AI being deeply biased, deeply political, because of who powers uh the AI and those um, algorithms. And so when we're talking about news, which is a dissemination of information, truth and not, you're now going to need to manage a lot of, moderate a lot of these views. So what is the best way for journalists and newsrooms to deploy AI in the face of these very intrinsic biases? You make a very good point, and it comes down to one of my fundamental arguments about AI 
and certainly generative AI, which is pretty much what the media is talking about. And that is that generative AI is based on what they call language models, which means that it looks for the right language to use. It's not based on facts models. It doesn't look for the correct facts. So facts are almost a byproduct and not an important byproduct of language uh, models. Mm -hmm. Therefore, any fact produced by generative AI is suspect. So double check any fact. Use AI to generate language and to sharpen your use of language. Don't use it to generate informational facts. Okay. Thanks for your views, Arthur Goldstock, CEO of Worldwide Works, and Paul McNally, founder of Develop AI. You've been listening to a Power 98.7 podcast. For more podcasts, visit power987.co.za or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.